Mana 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 this is Social Discasting. Welcome to Social Discasting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is a director, writer, and improviser, having done some or all of these things on very funny shows like NTSF, SDSUV, Children's Hospital, Do You Want to See a Dead Body, and Bajillion Dollar Properties, amongst many others. And he's an alleged drinker of milkshakes. Please welcome <laughs> Alex Fernie. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Always got to find a starting point with the show, so <laughs> why not a deeply unfair question like, how are you as a starting point, but how are you? I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. It's uh, uh, lovely in fall here in LA, which is a real uh, mood booster. Uh, and my I, my my kid just started preschool a couple of weeks ago, so we're still getting used to that. So for the first time in three years, I've got time during the day where I can do stuff and not feel guilty about not being with her. So that, that yeah. that's pretty good. I imagine there's a little bit of adjustment period with that. You know, not having the the before of what was school like pre-COVID or inter-COVID, and then now having more of the time, like you said, to do what you whatever you need to do without feeling like you're not doing something with her. Yeah, it, it's you know, she would have started last year um, and didn't okay. obviously, yeah. uh, and it is like kind of like a, I have to relearn what to do with you know six hours during the day. Our 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 place, our apartment, also with my wife and and, and my daughter and I, uh, you know, what was once kind of an office is is Maya's room. It's hers. It's it's the baby's room. Uh, so any work I have to do is at the dining room table, which again, during pandemic was, uh, not functional at all with a toddler yeah. running around because they are, they are very much anti-work. Um, so it's kind of like an adjustment of just being like, oh yeah, I don't, if I even go out to run an errand, it's not like I have to like rush back because I want to like relieve Deborah or I, I just feel bad about being away too long. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a rewiring of sort of how i've been thinking for three years yeah i mean it's like uh you're kind of used to being on some form of high alert just always conscious of everything going around and now yeah. there's a little bit of a oh okay got but that's still an adjustment period too yeah definitely and it's an adjustment for her to you know she went from she was we got lucky with her age where she didn't know anything had been taken away when when yeah. everything started and everything shut down you know, she wasn't even two, uh, so she had no clue. Uh, and so for a good chunk of her life, she was like, ah, oh, yes, this is just what life is. I never leave this place. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then it morphed into, oh, I do get to leave the house, but I have to wear masks. And she's fine with the mask. She has no idea. Uh, and so now as stuff starts to open up, it's like, guess what? You get to go into a store. And she's like, fuck, yes, incredible, <laughs> wonderful. Look at what the world has. Everything's a discovery. It's great. Yeah, all new. Well, that's a win, too, because I can't imagine, I don't know, I, it, it's such a difficult thing for, like, uh, an adult to process, to process everything that's happening, but let alone to then, ha you know, the, to be in that position to have to contextualize it for a child who maybe has some context, you know, previous to this. I, man, I wouldn't even know where to begin on that. That's that's a very tough road to navigate. Yeah. And, and you know, she... You know, she doesn't. I think it's really tough for kids older than her. I would imagine, like elementary school kids, it was tough on. I have friends who have like teens like that. They yeah. 
understand it, but what a nightmare. Imagine being like 14 and the last 18 months. God damn. I can't uh, imagine. It was what, 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 how horrible that would have been. So, like, we kind of count ourselves lucky because by the time we really have to explain it beyond just sort of like she knows kind of what COVID is, uh, but it'll be over. Like, she'll be old yeah. enough. By the time she's old enough to fully understand, it'll be like this crazy thing happened when you were two. <laughs> yeah. And even if you, if it was a matter, you know, whatever version of life is in however many years, but at least you have the very quantifiable thing of, Things are like this now because of these factual things that happened. And that's yeah. so much more easier than having to, you know, like interpret emotions, which is such a complicated thing. Definitely. Uh, uh, did you work during, I know you had said that you're doing work and trying to do that at the dining room table. Were you working during the pandemic? Because I know like the very special G4 holiday reunion <laughs> yes. happened, but was that film, was that part of what you were working on during all this no, that that was a very quick thing like I, I i was working but not a ton and not as much as i would like yeah. um like i i shot some episodes of reno 911 um nice which at the time was for quibi and, and i think will eventually show up on roku like i was on set the day that uh quibi folded and everyone was like do we still make this tv show um and then i did that g4 reunion thing which was just a, a very quick one day shoot but uh it, in general i've been you know i had that this sounds like oh poor me because so much was so terrible for so many people i had but i had the misfortune of taking a show out in spring of 2020 um to pitch um and it was something like i really believed in myself and alex berg who, who i work with a bunch like yeah. I, I really believed in it uh had all these like, pitches getting set up in february of 2020 um it was like okay we're gonna go do it and then everything started falling apart and we were several places like literally first remote pitch um, where people were still like trying to figure out Zoom or figure out their own in-house, and it was a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Um, and it was such a bummer because you know, obviously, this thing did not go, did not get bought, um, and it was like a real bummer uh, because also I had taken a bunch of time off when May was born. My daughter was born in 2018, and I was like, I, I want to be around. I don't want to. If, if you're directing a lot of times you're just gone um and it's like i don't i don't want to do that i want to be around i want to be around for when she's a baby she's gonna be our only kid and this is cool and special uh and so i took a bunch of time off and then i was like okay in the new year in 2020 that i'm gonna i'm gonna jump back into it like if, oh, if, no. if you again like, you're if you returning to the fold i really we're Email back. My managers. Awesome. Yeah. This is going to be great. No problem. We're going to get some work and drum some work. I got a new director's reel made up. If you look at my Vimeo, again, it got posted in like mid-February 2020. I was like, yeah, I was reaching out to people. And then everything just absolutely screeched to a halt. Uh, so it God. was, you know, a, 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 again, so, so many people had like legitimately terrible things happen to them. Uh, uh, because of this, and this pales in comparison to that, but it was a, sure. a, a bit of a mind fuck of being like, got all this stuff, and I'm going to do this thing, and I think this is going to really work, and it's going to be great, and then just like tossed into this world where, oh man, yeah, and even like the shows I do are done, 
so then it's just sat around with this like uh oh what now you know yeah no that's a that's a real kick in the proverbial dick i think that's fair to say and then and you know to your it with like pitching and things like that too it's like i mean sensibly this is our shot and then we have to move on if that doesn't go yeah basically it it it, and and you know the other element to it which i'm I'm, I'm sure i'm sure people know but like you know that's a year of unpaid work yeah um that goes away just goes away so like that that show we'd been like seriously working on with some producers and stuff for for a solid year never saw a dime and again like that's the risk and reward if it sells okay great you paid okay or from okay to very well uh and if it doesn't well you know again fuck you uh (laughs) (laughs) try you know you know spin the wheel again come back later Uh, with a lot more of your life used up trying to get this thing made yeah and it's really you know financially mentally that can be hard and tough that that thing i I think again i have to uh, i'm being vague and weird about it but like you know like it it was something i i really believed in i think we're going to try to find some way to do something with it um is that the bright spot of all of these different streaming services is the fact that you seemingly might have a new a new opportunity as the days pass with different places popping up is that a i will is that in play Mm, i will say this uh well the first part of the question uh once people have said no to get people to relook at something, it, it is like Superman turning the world back. It is okay. the, the the way you do it is you get successful another way. Um, and then they go, oh, OK, now we'll rethink about it. It's, it's incredibly hard. You can do it. Um, you know, like there's all those stories of like, you know, it's the Always Sunny guys pitched it to yeah. everybody. Though, you know, those stories. Because they pop, <laughs> you know, because they stand out as unusual. Sure. Um, but then the other thing is, I would say there is, as someone who's worked for a lot of streaming services, many of which uh, are are in the boot hill of streaming services, <laughs> uh, uh, there's no real advantage to the, all the streaming services because they <laughs> they're they're all under like big conglomerate conglomerates, uh, and there there are way fewer places to sell stuff now okay. than there was let's say five years ago or ten years ago even um i also imagine they recycled the same people there aren't that many new faces i would imagine as much as there might be new places that yeah and it's they all have this weird you, you know this has always been true but i think it's super true now of they want they very much don't really want to take risks on unknown quantities i'm certainly not a famous person um and i i've done stuff but like never to be like real Ooh, and alex fernie joined that's that's real added (laughs) value um but they you know if you have a famous person on board uh that can you know search engine optimize or trigger the algorithm yeah that is the benefit right um and like that's yeah, they have these weird a, quantifiers right for all yeah. these different things like you know i've even heard about one person being cast over another because they have more of a twitter following yeah you know things that that are value adds that will get prospectively more people to watch and just you know it's you know the marvels of the world whatever you say about them but they want as guaranteed quote-unquote guaranteed of a home run as they can get and that's what they're looking at that's what yeah. they're looking to invest in and part of it is is understandable like no one wants 
the actual individuals who like can buy stuff they all have bosses um and half the time the bosses are people who have nothing to do with entertainment it's like yeah. someone who's like this is a pharmaceutical company and we also own this streaming service for some reason <laughs> yeah. um and so they all are terrified of like well if you do this and then that loses money and then they go through the spreadsheet you know that that's going to that's going to screw them um which is a uh, a bummer. Like, and I, I've certainly been, I think, luckier than a lot of people. I've been able to work on stuff and, and do a lot of stuff. I'm 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 proud of, and I've had a decent number of like near misses of being like, I think this might really have. Oh fuck, um, yeah. <laughs> you know. And, but that's still, I, I feel lucky to have been able to have that experience. It just you know, especially with a kid, you start to go like, ooh, I you know, really really hope I can keep feeding the child yeah there are stakes to this yeah there are really things there are things to lose with uh not getting this thing or you know it's like yeah there's i imagine there's just more um layers to it maybe more urgency and and it's just it's just more about than just making a show you want to make yeah Uh, yeah like that that is you know the there's the creative element of like a oh, bummer i really think that would be great and didn't go or i'm really excited about this thing i'm gonna pitch now and then there's also that element of being like also you know i, I need to work um yeah. and everyone actors writers directors you know that's something you're constantly going through it is the worst part of the business is that you know i i know people and i have friends who i would be like i would call wildly successful who stress about what's the next job going to be, not out of yeah. a, any sort of like weird, ah, we need money, 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 but literally you, you almost never know. Um, and that is exhausting. Yeah. No, I imagine. That's one, um, in a, a weird way, like uh, a way you can get an idea of when an actor really feels like they're established and they can do what they want to do. It's like when, when you see an actor like, have a child, you're like, oh, okay, they're doing pretty good then. Yeah. Because if they feel like they can take that time off and potentially lose some momentum, they must be doing pretty good because it's not, you know, because you've got to really, man, strike while the iron's hot, whatever momentum you can get, which seems almost impossible for the average, you know, creator of any level. Yeah. That Man, whatever you can get going, ride that wave while you can because to your point, like, it seems like it's all about the next job only, not even from a workaholic standpoint necessarily, but just from a, because we don't know. Yeah. There's no guarantees. And I think, too, that's... I honestly think that's sometimes something that, like... You know, my background is, is in the comedy world. I think this is uber true of, of in the comedy world. Um, but, like, I think it's something that, like, a lot of people don't fully... Who are outside of the industry don't fully understand. I think it is hard to wrap your head around. I remember being a kid and being, like... If thinking... Oh, if you are on a TV show, you're rich forever you're good forever that's famous like it it doesn't even mean like as a lead you you know like oh that person's on tv show they're doing great forever oh well gunther Um, and friends he's got a mansion killing yeah he doesn't have to um (laughs) and there's like especially now uh with the streamers and, and and with pay kind of like dropping for anyone besides the top uh like that is so not true 
Uh, and I think it's hard to see from the outside because, you know, what, what do we see? We see like the, you know, the people who do live in Bel Air and the most famous people and the most successful people. Um, and even people that you think of as like, oh, they're very success- successful, uh, might be doing very well, but there's no guarantee that that sticks around. Yeah. Um, and that fucks with people's heads, I think. I, I imagine because like, uh, I don't know, you know, I've, I've said this before in here, but it just feels like. Every movie and TV show, just the, the, by the very nature of it getting made, is its own miracle yeah. that it got made, let alone that it's good, you know, which is extraordinary. But but to, to feel that way about anything, and then for it to go seven seasons, eight seasons, which with how low the percentage of like the possibility of that happening, it just feels inexplicable. You just don't know. And so yeah. like the Big Bang theories of the world, the ones you're watching, you're like, wow, they're rich. Everyone's rich. They're certainly rich, but that is, of course, a massive exception in other words. Yeah, huge exception. And it's like the, you know, I, I think the way the business works is there's just hundreds of people with veto power over anything. Yeah. Um, who can just go, like, like we, I don't want to just have it be just like, hey, it's just, just career talk. We don't have to just talk about the industry. But like, okay. I, you know, we had I got a, more, but we can go on in a second. Uh, uh, a bunch of um, several years, this was a while ago. Uh, I with my writing partners had sold a pilot that again, like I was like, I, I think this is going to be good. I think I think we're going to be able to do this. I think it fits the network. I think this is great. And the executives were all really into it. And it was for a network who hadn't really done comedy half hour comedy stuff, and they really wanted to get into it. And they were, I mean, by all you know, visibility for us, like very much getting on board. Um, and so like, great, we're going to I, we're going to at least shoot this pilot. Uh, like the script, we're gonna do it, and then there was like someone above him that I had never heard his name before, and decided like, no, I don't want to do comedy. We're not gonna do any comedy on the network, and just nixed <laughs> the the very concept of doing something funny. Um, and it was such a bummer, and also like to those people that we had been working with, this was gonna be their like some of them quit, um, because that was gonna be their whole thing. This is what we're bringing, we're creating, we're putting like two years into this, and then oh, with man. just like one sort of like, nah, I don't know, I I don't get it, never mind. It just like went away, and like what a colossal waste of, and, and it didn't just happen to us. There were other people who were developing stuff too. Like what a colossal waste of like talent and time and effort and everything. Yeah, I mean and. That was just one of many decisions that person made that day and just moved on. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, that without, person hasn't thought you about just don't that witness, once Yeah, then. you don't witness the ripple effect on any level and think no. about that. Absolutely. It's not. just another thing to, to finish that day. Yeah. And you know, I don't know, like maybe that person was right for that place. It like maybe it would have been a disaster and no one would have been like, I don't think of them as, as a comedy place and it wouldn't have worked. But, you know, I'm always like, I feel like that can be said before all these people are roped into this because it had it had it having literally nothing to do with the work we did if they had just yeah. been like we don't like this idea or this script or whatever i would have been like all right you know what can't argue with that yeah uh and but it had nothing we could have turned in the worst thing we could turn in the best thing we would have had the same result and again that's another thing they're like oh that feels bad that feels <laughs> that feels very bad yeah to I me mean, to your point it's like um yeah, this isn't really the direction we were going to go in. Just no, we're just not going to do this at all. Yeah, and that's a dramatically different. That's a different thing. It's such a different thing of being like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I'm not in any control of my own destiny here. And then you get a lot of like uh, entertainment advice, like, hey, just do your own thing. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know. It's like, cool. What does that mean exactly to you? Exactly. Because, and also, like, um, 
you think it's just like cool yeah we'll just throw together forty thousand dollars and just shoot this little pilot thing and then oh and don't worry it'll automatically gain momentum and then we cannot then we can't be ignored and they're gonna want the next alex fermi joint you know like it's (laughs) oh it's also simple yeah, it's just yeah, just do that. No problem. You get an iPhone. Use the iPhone. Be like, <laughs> oh, sure, okay. But again, oh, yeah. you know, there's, uh, there, you know, it is a career in this business, and you would never be like, yeah, I don't know. You didn't get the promotion at the law firm. Make your own. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I guess you could, but you know, again, there's more to it than that. Yeah, you control your own destiny. Oh, in that I can just leave the business. That's about yeah. it. Yeah, go That's do something else. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ooh, I really do control my own destiny. <laughs> um, I did. Uh, I do have some other things in this direction to talk to you, but sure. let's change the pace a little bit. Uh, a show you've tweeted about recently. I started watching because I read it. La Brea, unbelievable! Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I, I again, I, 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 how embarrassing to retweet a tweet I tweeted, but or respeak it. But the it fe- that show feels like there, there's only two options. I think that show gets made. One is Every note they ever received from any executive made it into the show, or they ignored every note anyone ever gave them. There's no middle ground. Because you watch the pilot of that show, and you're like, there's heroin in it. There's psychic powers. No one seems to be annoyed. They fell through a hole in the earth through a portal to another time, and everyone's kind of like, that's moderately weird. It is bonkers. That show, I I cannot wait to watch episode four. So I have... I wrote down two different things. One, I wrote down the timeline of the show getting made out mm-hmm. of curiosity in that same way. And I will say that as much as the, the show was announced like in January 2020, mm-hmm. they uh, supposed and they announced different actors in February and March with the supposedly they were going to shoot early to mid-March and then the pandemic happened. Yep. And then they had to let go of a lot of their cast in June of 2020. But then they ordered more episodes to six episodes. Then January 2021, it got picked up. And then May, and then they started recasting people. And then May 3rd, they announced, we're moving production to Australia. <laughs> and which was all done. That was May 3rd. It was done. And they yep. shot until mid-September. Uh, here's a little bit of trivia about that. They began filming in Melbourne, Australia, on May 3rd, 2021. Uh, they've... They said almost a little over sixty million dollars of the overall seventy-one million dollar budget Jesus. for si- for six episodes. By the way, uh, yeah, amazing. Uh, more than sixty million dollars of it was spent in Victoria, making it the most expensive TV production in Victoria, Australia, since Steven Spielberg's HBO series The Pacific in two thousand nine. That's insane. I mean, that's so much money to a com- to commit. To a bonkers show, and and look, lots of very talented people have definitely worked on uh, that show. Uh, yeah. Natalie Zia is a really good actor, like I'm sure of it. But like that is a it's one of those shows where any scene possible, they will stage it in a field. They will yeah. just put it in a field, and they have one hero field where, uh, spoiler alert for all, all the La Brea folk who are going to be running to watch it now, they fall through a sinkhole at the La Brea tar-, tar Pits and pop out in basically the land of the lost, so far it yeah. seems. But And they want to see, like, okay, we're going to show all the stuff that fell through. The universally recognized uh, 
uh, visual icon of Los Angeles that they choose to represent it in that other realm is the Peterson Auto Museum. <laughs> Something that I live here and I'm vaguely aware about. Uh, and it <laughs> the funny thing is, like, by the way, the, the initial thing, as soon as they fall in and she wakes up, Natalie Zaya's character mm-hmm. wakes up, the first thing she sees is a hunched over sign for Wilshire Boulevard. <laughs> yes. That's the immediate indicator of like, oh, this is interesting. And the the things are pristine. It also, again, they fall through the hole in under five minutes into the pilot. It, and for I, that, actually, it's within, I'm not kidding, it's under two minutes. It's, it's amazing. Like one minute and 51 seconds or something. I, I will think it's, like, I will give them so much because they didn't do the thing that all pilots do where they spend two to three acts being like, we really got to get to know the backstories of all these people. They're like, no. People are tuning in to watch people tumble into a hole uh, and we are going to give it to them immediately and then try to it. sort it out. You know, you know, if, it's a, if that was a disaster movie, 20 minutes at least of doing all oh. this backstory that nobody cares about. All that, that like, no oh, we're separated from there. the husband. And yes. both. Like, I don't care. I want to see people fall into a hole and then saber-toothed tigers that look like absolute garbage run around Amazing. and attack people. And the show was like, yeah, we recognize that you have minimal interest in watching these people's day-to-day lives. You want to see them spend an hour asking where bottled water is in this other realm. <laughs> and seemingly, these characters, they take days to realize their cell phones aren't going to work. Like, oh yeah, no. That's like, an epi- that's an episode two. Yes, she's still trying to do it. Night and, has come, and they're still yes. going. Like I'm trying to get bars in the <laughs> same field, <laughs> while being so comfortable with the fact that they are where they are. Like no screaming, no nope. any kind of like stages of grief going through it. I, I have a rundown of m- a fair amount of things, and this is all within not not the first twenty minutes of the episode of the first episode, first twenty minutes of the show. These things happen. Within two minutes, they fall in a sinkhole. There is a father who washed out of the Air Force who has visions of prehistoric vultures. Then, those vultures end up being real, and he loses his mind. There is a villainous Louisiana cop who immediately hoards power bars there uh, from the group and still grabs them even after they take them from her. Uh, there is a former Navy SEAL turned physician. There is, and this is the exact description from the Wikipedia page, quote, an anthropology graduate student from Australia who was working at the George C. Page Museum and is a recreational drug user who is always high. Uh-huh. There is a heroin subplot and there are ravenous direwolves. That's the first 20 minutes. It's incredible. Incredible. They're just jamming stuff. It, it, it does feel like they were afraid the show would get shut down mid-episode. And they're like, we got to get every idea. Every idea yeah. needs to be in this television program. It, like, it was the moment I got very on board when they instantly fall into the hole because I thought I was going to watch something else. And I was like, yes, just do it. And then I by thought it would time... be at the halfway point of the episode. I oh, really of did. course. Yeah. I thought there would be uh, so much set up. It was immediate. It was so fast. And then they do the uh, – also, uh, again, there's people who are very talented on the show. Uh, every single person, whether they're playing a teenager or supposedly <laughs> an older person – looks to be between 32 and 34 years old like there are there are characters that it is revealed i think are supposed to be teenagers that i would have guessed ah, they're playing late 20s yes. uh when they're first introduced and the show's just like don't care we're gonna keep on chugging through and i think it is a like almost gonzo uh production of just being like yeah it feels like they're just like let's just do it let's just, yeah, just shoot it just shoot it it's fine 
there there is an absolute air of fuck it about it. Yeah. And I really, really respect it. And I'm very curious, like to I'm very curious about like um in an alternative universe where there isn't a pandemic, which is very nice on multiple levels, but from the through the prism of La Brea, how different is this show? It's in either of those things. Because I'm curious because the whole like prehistoric element and the sinkhole that was announced with the show in january so that part's all there so yeah. everything else from there is a choice and it gave them a lot of time to just keep chugging through notes and keep giving notes i, I i'd be interested to see what the original like i think the uh husband character i think that was originally michael raymond james who I, I, from I, terriers which was great right? yeah i've worked with a little yeah. bit on terriers he's really it would have been a little mini reunion because karina logue is the cop, um, and she was on Terriers. He's a great uh, actor too. I really like him, Michael. Yeah, he's he's great, and he and he's got like a. Uh, he, I, I would say, he's got a really kind of like, he's actually he's just got like a little sparkle, like a little sense of humor. Like he can play the ridiculous, you know. Like yeah. he's got a sense of humor into just I think his style of acting. Which I think would maybe benefit the show of just somebody <laughs> reacting to something that's <laughs> happening around them. I think why not throw why not throw that tone in there with everything else yeah. too? That'd be a fun wrinkle. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's there's been plenty of like shows that have done that, being like we're taking a high concept premise and we're driving hard at it. Like <laughs> th- there's no shame in making stupid lost, you know. But you just have to lean into it. Like absolutely. I would, stupid lost is a great pitch that I would absolutely watch, but just don't tried to sell me that it, that I'm very invested. This is also a show where I'm like, you better be killing off characters left and right. I want it to be like Deep Blue Sea level. Okay, that's yeah. our, whoa, shit! A fucking I guess sloth the title, stepped on that dude. <laughs> I guess the title of Stupid Lost would be Lost? Like, even <laughs> yeah. they aren't even sure that's how lost they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, also, uh, yeah, one more crazy. thing that I thought was insane was mo- it, over the course of, I think, an episode and a half, characters repeatedly figure out that they're in the past but yeah. it keeps <laughs> happening like it's not sort of like one big reveal for the audience even though the audience is way ahead of the show characters like every act break are like i think we're still in los angeles you're like okay and then next act break a different character will go hold on i recognize <laughs> those mountains i think we're in los yeah. angeles and you're like you can't do that tv show we the audience knows yeah i was like wait a tick and also the, the the idea that uh, I mean, there's also like, um, like a family in a religious cult that yep. I didn't even mention. Nope. I mean, it's got, it's, it's it's surprised it's shocking to me that one of these type of characters can be in a show in this, you know, with with again going over it before before we even get into the show of how difficult it is to get something made that yeah. one of these characters can exist in a show. That is $71 million of a budget over six episodes or no, yes. let alone all of them. I, I genuinely, and I'm saying this in the best way, marveling at it, I don't know how this show got made. I I don't know either. And I will give you my, my prediction is probably going to be wrong about something that's coming. Okay. And so the, in the first episode, they show that there's someone in the past watching them, like some like old grizzled caveman guy. Yeah, yeah. I bet my guess is he's been there since like there's going to be a bunch of jokes of like he's been there since like the swing in 60s in LA or like the 1990s and there's going to be jokes mm-hmm. of being like how's OJ's movie career going yes. 
That's yes, going to be are. that's my 100% bet as to what that person's deal is going to be. This has happened before. He fell in then. He survived. And it's going to be a lot of anachronistic jokes. What's this little light up box you have? It's a phone. <laughs> I'm trying to find bars. I I think you're right. And I, you know, but what if with the way this show is, it's going to be something like specific and very odd. Like I fell through the day before the challenger. Did everything go okay? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, um. Uh, ooh, like it's gonna be some. Yeah. It's like ooh, we need to talk. Yes. Like 100%. it's uh, it's gonna be some. Yes. It will absolutely be that. I'm really excited for that. I will say that. Uh, and I don't know how indicative of this is of like overall success, but it's a it's a seems to be a hit. Like people no, are watching the show. I truly have no idea anymore. <laughs> well, well, you know, the funny thing is, I read that it's the number one streaming streaming television show on Peacock. But I say that, and Peacock released a movie in the theater while also on Peacock, and it made a lot of money in the theater. So oh. that doesn't feel like it's a great indicator of how many people are yeah. watching Peacock. Uh, but it's very successful on the streaming platform, which I would think only probably motivates them more to, to make season two of La Brea. I've been trying to get people on board uh, as a, like, you can get some real Rocky Horror vibes on this. I got your past guest, Seth Morris. I was just... My wife and I were just telling uh, him and his wife about it, um, and I was getting texts being like, we're watching this right now. This is insane. <laughs> it's perfect. It really is like, I think word of mouth can go a long way, because yeah. you don't have to reveal too much even to get people on board, because it's like, you give them th- three elements out of 50 in the first 20 minutes, and any of those 50 could probably sell it. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's nuts. It's uh, it's It's like... It's everything I could want it to be. Like what I, I feel like it's exactly what I need right now. And clearly, I had no idea. I've been. Uh, uh, I think I laugh more at that show than I do at almost any comedy that's on TV. Like it gets <laughs> yeah. like big belly laughs out of me, in a way that like you know, having done a comedy, most time comedy comedies get me to go, oh yeah, it's funny. And this, it'll just surprise. Like the heroin made me guffaw so and that, loud. That was like within that. That was under. That was like probably like 12 to 13 minutes in. Yeah, they like fall into another realm and someone randomly opens a trunk and goes, ooh, heroin. <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to like a Louisiana cop hoarding power bars. Yep. And uh, do you find yourself like as somebody in comedy, do you find yourself watching it more like dramas and things? Is is that escapism for you, non-comedy stuff? It's, it's a little bit more. I, I probably do watch more of that. Like just because it's, I, I can't uh, get ahead of the rhythms as much. Like when it yeah. works, it surprises me. And it, it's like, actual escapism for yeah. you. But and, and, you know that's not always. Like I really love what we do in the shadows, and the other two is one of the best shows on TV. And those are both like comedies that Fantastic, do things yeah. that I couldn't do that like are so wonderful and so so good. Or or you know, every comedian likes. Uh, I think you should leave. Uh, you know, those are all like, but those are all very specific voices and tones uh I, but then the sort of more like general like oh that that is a comedy i, I tend yeah you know th- those tend to be things i drop off on just because i spend a lot of my day thinking about and 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 writing that sort of stuff uh and so sometimes when i need to turn that off it's easier to turn around and go like yeah okay well let's watch a horror movie or let's watch succession or let's watch something like that yeah, I imagine because like you're, you're pretty practically every day like intellectualizing comedy and processing it and thinking of the puzzle of it, and then you can actually like 
now that they're thinking about deconstructing it while you're trying to decompress. Yes. Yeah, it does start to go. And, and you know, there is that sort of thing of just getting... We, I, I used to do a show at um, UCB with Deborah, my wife, um, that was um, called Required Viewing. And we would have a guest come and pick a movie that they uh, uh, really loved. Um, didn't have to be their favorite, just one that they loved. Um, and then we'd talk about it, and then we would just screen it. Uh, and, like, the first one we ever did, we had Ian Roberts come, and, and he did On the Waterfront. And it was the same sort of thing. He was talking oh, about nice. why he loves this movie so much. One, he really likes Brando, but the other part was, you know, just sort of, like, as someone who spent the better part of his adult life sort of doing comedy, seeing a movie like this, uh that's like kind of like grounded and of a different era and definitely a drama allows him to kind of like turn off that part of the brain and just kind yeah. of like live in a world that you wouldn't be able to necessarily come up with on their own yeah I mean, and that makes complete sense like that yeah that's it's every element is different in every way even from a from being in black and white versus color every conceivable way it's it's escapism on every level yeah 100 percent. yeah i mean that whew. I can imagine, yeah, that goes a long way. I imagine. Um, I know too. You just um, was it the second time you performed live in front of an audience as part of uh, your third, your uh, improv, a uh, third. Okay, since the pandemic, your yeah. uh, improv trio convoy. Mm-hmm. So third, and you were doing um, Twitch streams before that. Yeah, we had been we, we we did we'd been doing some of my one of my like uh, uh, helping me stay sane during pandemic was you know. My group convoy, which is Todd Fassman and Alex Berg and I, f- for years since 2008, have done uh, a show every Thursday night at, at UCB, mm-hmm. um, the three of us. And, like, it is a, you know, talking about all those, like, how many people can say no and all these near misses and career stuff it is a thing that, like, is severely good for my mental health because you can go and you can do the show and you create something and you make someone make some people laugh and people respond to it and um, you can control it and it's reliable and, and it, yes yeah and it's you know it's something I, I think i'm good at and then i derive a lot of joy from and yeah. it's just creating things that i like and enjoy and that i like to create um and did that and that is very very helpful and then again pandemic comes and that went away um and that was also like a a mind fuck uh and so we started doing zoom sort of like improv shows uh and kept it up and it's largely for us it's also those are two of my best friends so it's nice to like i i truly hate being on the phone and I hate like zoom hangs. I, I just, I yeah. just hate them. I need a reason. Um, and it's a way for us to like sort of do stuff and kind of stay sharp. And it's not the ideal. It's better to be on a stage in front of people, but it has been kind of fun just to try to like figure this out. And then in J- July, as stuff started like kind of opening up, we're like, yeah, we're going to come back. We're going to do monthly shows. We're going to pop up at different venues. We did one in July. It was felt so good. It was so fun. And then Delta hit and we're like, well, fuck. Yes. Um, and so then we came back and we started doing them again uh, last month and we just did one a couple of nights ago and it is just so feels so nice to be on the stage and to hear like laughter in a room <laughs> with people yeah. you know and watching other teams we've had really great improvisers come and do sets as well and it's so fun to watch just like sort of like great comedy and and be in that audience and laugh with that audience and that like is very very helpful um just for my brain oh i can imagine I mean, just to be able to to feed off that energy because i mean there's no I, I would imagine there's no there's you can you can't duplicate that on yeah. any level 
it is it's, it's that or nothing it, it really is. and like there's you know doing shows online was fun and it was good but it isn't the same um and i haven't been able to you know see it you know like this is something that i really love and it's a, a art form that i really love and that i didn't realize that we did that first show in july how much i missed just like you know a, we had a couple of great teams and, and i remember like watching teams called the big team now it's like carl tart and ronnie adrian and yeah and, and a bunch of people that are just really really wonderful and and watching them really make me laugh and being like it's been a year and a half since i've been able to do this uh and it turns out oh I, I need this you know no i mean that must i mean in a weird way let's like well thank god it came back so you can just know how valuable it is to you and how much you need to i mean whenever you can at this point keep doing it keep it going yeah but one thing i was curious about too about like i was thinking about you know obviously the, like the difference between twitch versus doing it live improv on twitch versus live and I was curious about with doing it on Twitch, you you don't have the necessarily like the act outs or the physicality that you would with doing it live. Does that does that change your approach to improv? Knowing you don't have to act a certain thing out, or is it just one less thing to think about? Is it yeah the same approach? I, I'm certain there's a way we could have figured out to do it where we wouldn't lose that much stuff as much as we do. Yeah. Um, you know, like we more or less did it. As if it was like a podcast, um, but you can see us, uh, and yeah. like, and we'll we'll mime stuff and we'll change our physicality, but it's not the same. We're in front of a camera, and you know, you can't really stand up, and blah blah blah. Um, the the biggest adjustments really came from it's a full. You have to fully change your pacing um, in on stage. Presumably, you've got audience reaction, and an audience will give you silence. Like that's. One of the first things I think people should learn when they're doing improv is like an audience will watch you if you're doing something. You don't have to be talking the whole time. Um, but that's not really true when you're just like staring into a webcam. It, it, you know, it feels very bad for three people to be just silent on a webcam, even if <laughs> yeah. you're doing something. So you kind of have to like fill the space. Um, and that took us a while to kind of like really figure out. We also tend to, our shows tend to be very like sort of fast improv um and uh we do a lot of tag outs and, and that sort of thing uh and we had to like kind of relearn that language um because you know you can't just tap someone on the shoulder shoulder from through a webcam uh and like that that was a bit of a learning curve oh, i imagine and just like you know being in comedy and being in front of an audience just the idea of at least maybe from the beginning or at the beginning anyway maybe uh Oh, silence means this is failing. Yeah. And mm -hmm. having to um, probably unlearn that or just realize that it could also mean that they're enraptured and they're following you, where you're, whatever you're doing. Yeah. I think people are... This is also a, I think, a people thing, even though I've been talking a bunch on this podcast, so it seems like it's not. Uh, but, uh, uh, like, I'm very comfortable in silence and, and silence with other people. Um, yeah. And... It took me a long time to realize that not everybody, not everybody is, um, and everything's heightened on stage. So you can see that if you watch, you know, not just um, improv, but also like you know, stand up and sketch too. People lose their minds sometimes on stage if there are beats of silence, uh, and you know, I think they're good. I think they're nice. I think it's great, and I think like especially when crafting comedy, if you can, you're building pressure and tension in that. Uh, yeah. 
and that panic comes from people just being afraid they won't be able to pay it off. Uh, but, you know, if you believe you can and you commit to it, you, you probably can. Well, it seems like, you know, and, and the people that I've heard on podcasts, or, which is a lot of my basis for improv, but there's plenty of basis with podcasts for there to be because there's just so many different ones you can go you can mm-hmm. listen to. But it does feel like the for the best improvisers that I encounter and hear, it's the ones that, don't that are that confident they don't go for the easy laugh because you can get you can seemingly get them anytime you want but it's seemingly at the disservice of every other performer around you yeah yeah and i i think that's all you know if you see someone like you know uh there's a lot of very wonderful improvisers and i'll say mary holland and if you watch like how mary improvises and i think performs in scripted stuff too there's a uh, Mary could be playing the least confident character in the world, but Mary takes up the space that that character needs, right? Like, yeah. th- there's there's not that sort of like sweaty panic. You got to pay attention to me, or, or or I'll die. It's just sort of like this is what we're doing now, and I have faith that it'll work. There's no one on earth that works for 100 percent of the time, um, <laughs> but it increases your chances tenfold that it is going to work with just being like it's okay if you're not laughing at this exact moment as long as i haven't sold everything out for a joke that didn't work that's fine because now we're just building information for whatever comes next it kills you when you're like this joke is gonna kill and you say it and the audience goes no and then you're like well shit i just sold everything out (laughs) yeah she's well first of all i I know that that was just an example but she's unbelievably funny and oh yes the other day i watched uh the golden arm which she stars in Mm -hmm. with uh betsy Sedaro, and it's Yep. Such a funny movie. It's really, yeah. really funny. Maureen Burch, who I, I know a little bit from UCB, directed that. And like th- those are, I mean, yeah, uh, not to take anything away from Maureen, but like I I think it would be impossible to make something that wasn't funny with Mary and Betsy. <laughs> like I can't. It's, even, it's an incredible how, start. Yeah. yeah. How could you, how hard would you have to fuck up to make Mary and <laughs> Betsy not funny? <laughs> They're just the I think you would have to be planet. on purpose. It would have, have to be, be on purpose. Yeah, it would have to be like so. I'm going to make them look bad and edit them weird because they are <laughs> just. I, I got to shoot a movie with Betsy. Um, never got released. Toss that on the almost pile. Um, but the uh, and you know Betsy's just the best, and every line is better than it is on the page when when she says it. Yeah. Oh no. Absolutely. Like just as obviously just a viewer, but. She's one of those people which just like, oh, she's just like, she can't not be funny. Yes. You know, just as if, and not to say that it's like not a conscious choice. She knows exactly what she's doing, but she's just inherently funny. Yeah. And I would also say too, like, you know, just the funniest, the people I would say are the funniest people I know. Mary and Betsy are both this too, um, because they are two of the funniest people I know, are pretty much to a person kind yeah um and i think there's no i think there's something there too of like you know i don't know a lot of like truly great improvisers who are dicks uh and instead i know a lot of people who like uh, maybe that's a listening thing maybe i I don't know what it is but it's really fascinating when you see like how funny betsy or mary can be uh and it doesn't come with that sort of like toxicity you don't get a lot of like sort of like we're equal opportunity offenders we'll say anything because that's what comedy is like that can fuck off instead sort of being like no you're you're pulling laughs where i can't see them coming because they come like from you and who you are that's interesting you know um 
I'm not by any means saying I have the answer, but one thing that came to mind when you were saying that was that I imagine that uh, one commonality of like uh, many, if not all, like probably great improvisers that also in my life tend to be pretty good people are great listeners. Yeah. And always exceptions, right? People are going to, sure. the improvisers listening is going to be like, I can think of several people that this doesn't apply to. But I do think in general that is, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people that I truly think are like uh, uh, empathetic and kind and good listeners. Yeah. Um, and that is what can allow them to be really good. And I think that empathy thing is something else too, especially for people Absolutely. who, like I I am terrible at playing characters. That's, it's just not something. I have like three that, you know, everything. It's just going to be one of those three types um but you know the people who are much better at improvising than me uh be able to get into all these different characters heads that has to be part of that too you know it's it's not that sort of that stereotype of improv is a lot of like oh the the fuck robots here and it's you know you're like yeah 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 and that might be very funny (laughs) but it's best when it is that sort of like a little bit grounded and it's connected to something real somewhere deep in it Absolutely, yeah. Those are always my favorite actors. Are the ones that, I mean, the one. I mean, there's a there are multiple commonalities, but the one that I feel like that they always have is a very clear emotional intelligence. Yeah, they can clearly find the layers. They can find the empathy of that character, and really layer it and find humanity. And even you know some something something that's there that has that makes it to where they're not completely irredeemable. Yeah, I think that is. I think especially when playing shitty characters and shitty people, that is such a, you know, everything's subjective. But sure. um, to my taste, that tends to be, you know, I don't think you need to have it be like, oh, it's redeemable or we're explaining them. But you just have to kind yeah. of like get into that. That's your way in as an actor. Yeah. And, and it makes sense. Like, I, I don't know. I, I would imagine to to play a role to, to some degree of your best of your abilities, you have to... You have to believe in something in them. Yeah. Or, or at least I be think, able to like know, connect to it, you know, like Absolutely. Like you some... can tell when they phoned it in, you know, or when it's with authenticity or anything else, like you can you can kind of tell when it's not there. Mm-hmm. So like they've got to I mean, th- that's a lot of work. They got to really believe in it. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I'm going to already cited it, but I'm going to cite it again like okay. uh, because it, the second season just ended, but the other two does something that is so good and it's it, it's it's Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider created the show uh, and they're both so good and Drew Tarver is so good and Helene York is so good. Like, yeah. Everyone on the show is so good. And what that show does that I think almost no other shows do or movies is the, the, the two kind of lead characters are narcissists. 100%, right? Like yeah. they're absolutely narcissists. But... It's not played in that sort of, sounds like I'm writing on It's Always Sunny. I'm definitely not. But like, it's not played in that irredeemable narcissist way. They are narcissists who are desperately trying not to be and are trying, they really legitimately love their family and they're trying to do right by them, but their narcissism gets in the way. And it's a harder thing to create and it's a harder thing to write and it's a harder thing to portray and pull comedy out of because every comedy bone screams heighten, heighten, heighten. 
Um, but the show does it amazingly well, uh, where you're still getting all these laughs and you're watching them fail and you're getting laughs off that narcissism, but while still buying that, like, yeah, they care about their brother, they care about their mom, they care about each other. Uh, and it's really tough to think of other shows that do that without it going, like, sappy, you know, or going the other way and being like, these are all frothing monsters. Tonally, it's incredible. It really... Yeah. You know, it feels like that in and of itself on top of so many other elements. Like, I mean, it's one thing to write that, but let alone to find the people who can pull that off. Mm-hmm. Like um, Molly Shannon, of course, like unbelievable. Of course. But yeah. like, there's only one Molly Shannon. Yeah. There's only one Jude Tarver. It's it's kind of this amazing alchemy that that it came out the way it did because it's, it's fantastic. And too, like, again, there's so like Ken Marino's character, which <laughs> they've gone like, again, like it. They've gone all in on on Streeter being sad. And yeah. you, I, I have to imagine they would have gotten no, you know, like the idea of this sort of like kind of scummy deadbeat manager would be to go a different direction with that character. And he's just sad and really loves Molly Shannon's character. <laughs> and like to have that be a sincere beat to play is it's it's absolutely the right choice. It's the smartest, most fun choice. And it's also fundamentally not the choice that 99% of shows would make and like that the show is incredible for it. Yeah. I think Ken Marino, I, I feel like, uh, I don't know. He's, he's part of the state, you know, and he's like, mm-hmm. he's Ken Marino, but yeah. it somehow feels like he's incredibly underrated as an all time great actor yeah. period. You know, he's on like, he can show 30 emotions in three sentences. It's, um, it's, it's amazing. I think he'll, I think Ken's one of those comedy people that will get a shot at like doing doing stuff that is like for no other word like awardsy because he can he could he could do drama easily yeah. like, if he can if he can provide all the nuances mm-hmm. comedically kind of like a Will Forte or Kristen yeah. Wig where it's like oh they've got Bill Hader like oh they've they oh they can do drama oh yeah. absolutely. He he knows he knows rhythm and he knows and he and he can will still be able to pull laughs out of it too, but he's so talented, uh, like that he's one of those people that someone's going to be like, I'm going to put you in a really hard role and see how it works and he's going to home run it. I I think so. I would love to see it too because it's like yeah, like you said, like you just you know he can do it. Yes, and I think he'd be amazing at it. Yeah, you know, and and sometimes you like. <clears throat> sometimes they try to certain comedic actors they try to kind of shoehorn in different dramatic roles and I'm yeah. not even thinking of anybody specific but the thing that I when I think about that I always think about how the first person supposedly offered the role of Lester Burnham in American Beauty mm-hmm. was Chevy Chase huh now I think that would have been a disaster yeah but uh, just considering a lot of things that are notorious about Chevy Chase but uh, yes. but <laughs> But, you know, subtle actor was never really a thing that I was aware of with him. Yeah. Uh, so that's why no. I'm like, he didn't, he never struck me as like, he'll give a layered dramatic performance. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Where well, he really interacts with his castmates in a real granular way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know that um he's notorious for being a giving performer. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, Chevy. So sorry. But uh, I had to put it out there for you. But um, one last thing I want to say uh, before we wrap it up, but. I was just curious though. How'd you get into directing? Was that always 
a thing we're looking toward or did it no. kind of happen fortuitously uh, it happened fairly fortuitously when i moved out to la you know i wanted to do comedy i wanted to perform sketch and improv and i was like oh i'll be an actor um and i auditioned for a long time with minimal little bits here and there uh and uh, i'm not that good at it i can do like one thing and if you need that i can deliver uh and if you're (laughs) going the field of that there's better options out there um (laughs) and i'm very bad at auditioning uh but i was also always going to kind of like write as well and talking about the sort of like so not that long ago we had the boom of like the streaming places your CISOs, your quibbies your go 90s all those crackle sure um well before that there was the boom of like the online web comedy portals fun or die fun or die super deluxe all those places um fun or die hired me as a writer just from doing shows at UCB all the time during like the peak of that. And I was there for three years. Um, and that I, I basically became a director through that because they hired me as a writer okay. and funnier die was chaos. Uh, and I was like, Oh, I need to direct my own stuff if I want anything I write to get made. Um, and so I just kind of used that to uh, uh, kind of like teach myself. And, and still, you know, like the, the, the stuff I like doing, like the type of director I am is, the stuff that's most fun to me is working with the actors and finding the funniest ways to play stuff that way. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, in Children's Hospital or something like I did this show called The Hot Wives of Orlando with like Casey Wilson and, and, yeah. and Donna Furman and Danielle Schneider created it. Um, and that was all like really talented, funny actors playing. And I get to just kind of work with them. And that sort of stuff was all kind of came out of that um but like that is the you know you can you can kind of see the improv background of the collaboration of it is really fun and the let's all you know create this together to me is kind of where where, where that came from yeah i was to say was, was there a bit of an acclimation period going into like children's hospital you directed six episodes and like i think season six episode two was like the first one but is there a bit of an acclimation period going into a show that's knows what it is and you're figuring out where you fit and all that yeah it's a little like it's every job i've ever had i'm wildly intimidated going into it doesn't matter what it is i, I go into yeah. it being like i'm gonna fuck this up and they're all gonna know <laughs> um and children found in, out yeah. in particular because it is like i i watch children I, I think children's has such a specific voice i love that show it's so great everybody involved is so you're not gonna be like you know what yeah, I really have to help like Rob Cordry be funny in this scene. Yeah. <laughs> he really yeah. needs my help to understand what comedy is. <laughs> Rob, this uh, has been bothering me for years. Let me fix this. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, I'm, I'm gonna give lots of notes to Henry Winkler. Um, <laughs> but it was the 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 plus side is there's a certain element of hey, there's a machine going here, right? They know what sure. their voice is, and they have they're kind of like set up for that. You're not figuring out tons of like that like base dna stuff um but with children's in particular children's was like a cheap show to make it was not expensive the first season i did uh every was it the first or the second i'm trying to remember which one we did i think it was the first one um the at the first four seasons they shot at an abandoned hospital where they shot scrubs then they okay. tore that hospital down, which is why the fifth season is the MASH season, where the hospitals are just intense. <laughs> That's right. um, because they didn't have a location. So they're like, well, what if we just do it like MASH? 
Um, and then for season five, basically we had like five standing sets in this old plastic factory uh, that they built to look like a hospital. In season six, it was entirely shot entirely in the old sun-kissed corporate headquarters which was an office building uh and so you know you're it becomes a lot of like any sort of like that you're you're diving into that i was lucky in both those seasons there was a lot of stuff to still figure out of being like okay how do we make the show in under this situation and then the last season great it's a new situation with new sets how do we make the show in this uh and again it because it's like a fast moving shoot it was all it, it was again very collaborative like there's no real like people arguing over fiefdoms and it was like uh, you know everyone talks their ideas and can pitch stuff and, and and that makes it feel very kind of like welcoming even though going into it i was scared because it's like again like uh, i don't want david wayne to think i'm a piece of shit yeah. idiot <laughs> yeah well and it's you know and like it's kind of like um you know, Betsy and Mary before that, of like, uh, while there are in no way any weak links here, yes. it's it's impossible. You have to be, really be purposeful to make it not funny. Yes. And I mean, I honestly, I would have said this before I ever worked on the show, think that Children's Hospital has one of the best casts on, ever incredible. on television. I mean, it's incredible. Everyone what was fascinating about that show because it was nobody's like primary thing which is why you know like Malin Ackerman would just disappear for a season um, <laughs> because everyone had other stuff that paid above Adult Swim uh, but everyone has their own vibes and their own style of comedy and their own stuff that they can do um, but you could kind of swap those doctors in and you could have a storyline that was like Megan Mullally and Rob Corddry uh, that on the page would read the same um two ways but then if you instead it's lake bell you know and hubel and it plays totally differently even yeah. if the words are the same and, and i think that's like really a sign of like oh that's a great ensemble no i i think that's a great call and like um yeah i'm not you know thinking about it too with you know to your point just talking about how different dynamics can change everything that uh yeah i guess i never realized you thought about just man tone is the is the focus right uh, as much as anything else of like just consistent tone and yeah these different storylines dramatically change the vibe of the show episode yeah. per episode or even within the episode and and that show also has like really like they, they like uh i think it's probably harder for writers to come on um because first few seasons were just written by the creators but uh like that show in their heads they really knew what what is a children's hospital joke and what isn't uh, but that's okay. hard to verbalize. Um, yeah. and so sometimes we'd be like, yeah, that's not something the show would do. And I think sometimes to the outside, when you watch it, it's like, oh, it's sort of like a zany anything goes show. And being, But it, it, it's not really. It's There's a finite amount of things that the show will do, even though sometimes it'd be like, hey, this whole episode is basically do the right thing. And this is the episode of the show that in the reality of the show was what it was in the fifties and it's black and white and it's a variety show, but they were able to kind of like juggle all those different things. And I think that was because they knew the tone so well and they knew what was important to the show and what would sell out what was important to the show. And they never did what would sell out what was important to the show. Even when they did stuff like, well, before I was on it, they did the fake live episode where everything goes wrong. Like that should be kind of like a overly meta and, and, and it works. Yeah, it's like to your point, like if, if they decide to do some form of like a jump the shark moment, it's a choice. Yes. It's not 
it's not because they themselves are losing the thread. They it's yeah. they all you know they know all too well and to, and like there's so many things in my life where uh, it's like <laughs> I can't necessarily tell you what the right answer is, but I know what the wrong answer is. Yes, and maybe with jokes uh-huh. too. They're like I just know they just know oh that's not right for this show and I'll and I'll know it when I hear it. Yeah, and when it ended too, it was kind of like the last episode of Children's Hospital in season seven. Uh, the Danny Jelinek, who's, who's a, a great director, uh, directed, um, and I think Cordry wrote, was basically like an extended The Matrix riff, where it's revealed that everything <laughs> that's happened is in some sort of matrix. And Amazing. that season ended, and Cordry, I think, was kind of like, "Yeah, what if we end it there?" And part of that decision was that's kind of a funny way just to end this show. That wasn't necessarily the plan, um, but then. That's fun. And it was like that. That fits, you know. That fits with what we want the show to be. I just love that too, as its own version of a Saint Elsewhere ending. Yes, you know, very. But just like just the choice of it being through the prism of the Matrix. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, that that feels that does feel like perfect. And the show works because you know, it, for some reason, you could be like, yeah, I buy Aaron Hayes going into this Matrix. Like, and again, the <laughs> cast could pull it off. Not every cast could pull off like the wildly different like sort of genres it would dip into. And Aaron is an, a spectacular actor, um, and she knows how to be funny in a Grey's Anatomy spoof, and she also knows how to be funny yes. in uh, Housewives, uh, Real Housewives spoof, and she knows how to be funny in a Matrix play. Like, she can do all of those things without selling it out. That's a gift. Yeah. Uh, it is a gift that I've worked with plenty of actors and most don't have. I imagine, yeah, it's a gift that um, very few have, but um, unfortunately, maybe plenty think they do. Yes. And there's oh, a, oh, everyone there's a thinks big, they do. 100%. Big difference. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, well, we need to wrap it up. I We went over what I promised. So, no uh, what all, if, first of all, thank you for doing this. This is great. This is so fun. It's fun. Um, what all, if anything, do you want to point people toward before I wrap it up? Um, uh, <clears throat> I mean, if you're around Los Angeles and you're listening to this, Convoy has started doing shows again, and uh, uh, we do them every month. You can follow us at, at Convoy Improv or me at Fernie Comma Alex on Twitter, and we we announce them there. Um, and uh, uh, I'll just do another very specific LA local one if this goes up in time but uh sure yeah it'll be out next week so yeah oh great yeah so since 2007 uh once a year i've done this show uh with a bunch of people called the thanksgiving feast show where it's like an improvised family thanksgiving meal with real food on the table and everything it's one of my favorite things all year it's one of my favorite holiday traditions uh last year we had to do it on zoom we always did ucb and ucb's not open so trying to find a place but we are going to do it this year at the elysian theater which is a new comedy theater opening up in la um, and I think it's going to be really fun. And that's in November, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. I forget the date off the top of my head. Um, but if you're in LA, check that out when it goes up on the Elysian schedule because it's truly one of the most fun shows uh, uh, I've ever done. November 23rd. Sounds right. November 23rd. That's according to your your tweet from four hours ago. So we'll go with that. Perfect. November 23rd, the 15th annual Thanksgiving feast show. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'll give one other pitch because yeah. I always do this when I do podcasts because no one watched the show when it was on. Uh, I directed a bunch of – sh- so I always pitch this, but Rob Hubel's show, Do You Want Do you want to See a Dead Body, which is for YouTube Red. 
yeah. which I think is now something else. But you can still see it on YouTube, and I think the show is legitimately very, very good, and no one ever saw it. And it's funny and weird, and if you like Children's Hospital, I think you'll like it. And it's got great guest stars. Uh, and, and seek it out. I will always drive people to it because I'm proud of it. It's really funny. I highly recommend it. I think it's good. Yes. No, I really do. I think it's really funny. Thanks. And uh, thank you again for doing this. My pleasure. Uh, Very much. It was great. And um, thank you all for listening. Please stay safe. Please wear a mask, I guess. I think that's right. Yeah, go ahead and do that. But absolutely get vaccinated, for the love of God. And, uh, you know, be kind to yourself. Be kind to other people. And uh, watch La Brea. Get us La Brea Season 2 with... Possibly a hundred billion dollar budget. Let's see. Yeah, I, you know way. what? Let's blow huh. Avatar out of the water. Let's just <laughs> let's just fucking do it. Spend all the money uh. Universal has just on La Brea and La Brea associated spinoffs. Heroin Trump let's... coming next year. Uh. <laughs> for the love of God, let's run Universal into the ground for the sake of thirty five seasons at two hundred million dollars a season of La Brea. And let me thank say you this. again for listening. Well, yes. Real quick, if you're listening to this and you don't watch La Brea. And then next Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios, they don't have a La Brea-themed maze. I'm blaming each and one, every one of your <laughs> listeners for not listening to us on this. Man, you know what? Their, their oil is on their hands. Their, yeah. What's the... Not even... I wanted to say blood, but I couldn't figure out the alternative to that. <laughs> uh, so it's on your hands. It's all yes. your fault. But hey, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.